Hello, you're listening to the abridged version of Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full-length version of Book Shambles and also get loads of other extra treats and bits and pieces, then why not go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Anyway, here's the abridged version with loads of really interesting things that were cut out. I mean, there's lots of interesting things you're still going to hear, but some of the things you're missing out on. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles producer Trent here. Thanks as always to our brilliant Book Shambles Patreon supporters. Your support means we can keep making Book Shambles and Science Shambles and everything else as well as all the Patreon exclusive series like Tips for Existence and An Uncanny Hour as live shows are still a little way off in the distance at the moment. So your support really does make a huge difference to us being able to keep making all of the things that you enjoy. There's an extra 20 minutes of chat on today's extended edition of this episode. So if you'd like to hear that and get all the other goodies that come with being a Patreon supporter, Patreon supporter, Patreon supporter, that's not a URL, is it? Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you need to go to sign up. On today's episode, we chatted to the comedian and presenter Tom Allen, who took a break in between filming for Bake Off to chat with Robin and Josie. His new book is no shame. It's out now. Here is Robin and Josie and Tom. Hello, welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. Thank you very much. If you support us uh, via Patreon, you might be hearing the longer version. If you do, uh, if not, you're hearing a shorter version, which is missing out some really key points, which I think you thoroughly enjoy if you joined us via Patreon. But don't worry, it'll always be free to you. Um, so today's guest is I was I can't even remember the I was trying to think of the uh, last time I, I gigged with our guest, and I do remember once uh, in New Cross where he was well, he was always particularly funny. Uh, um, we would we were doing. A, Monday night comedy in, in, in New Cross. He might have gigged since then. Um, but uh, he's since then, he has gone on to... And I feel it's a lot due to me. I actually feel that it was due to my slightly poor set that night that meant that the people from telly went... Well, I'll tell you what, that old man was very bad. And that made us think how wonderful that young man was. And since then, due to my failure, he's been an enormous success. Oh, yeah, work your way into anyone's biography if you can. It's Tom That's Allen. Hello, Tom. It's very unsavoury to me <laughs> that is what happened i can't believe that he uncovered the truth <laughs> and oh, i know I, I have been the springboard for so by being splintered i am many people's springboard it's very <laughs> I, this is I, I i it's such a joy it's such a joy to see you on anything i love it so much it feels Aww. to me like the world is working as it should be and i love seeing you like just being a big like mainstream tv personality it's like yes yes you're oh. doing it we're doing it oh, so it's such a nice. thank you for saying that oh. i feel very welcomed you're very welcomed here we're so I mean, excited to have slightly passive aggressive but how uh, I, I want to talk about your book, but also I want to talk about the fact that I feel like because we're from the same place yeah. that we have an understanding of the culture there and what it feels to rub up against it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I'm always sort of fascinated by suburbia and I've sort of had a warmth uh, towards it now. Now I've got a bit older and now I've written about all the things I don't like about it. Um, but um, coming from Bromley, as as we do, and the London Borough of Bromley, um, where also, of course, David Bowie is, was from, and yeah. um, and and Susie Sue and the Banshees. Yes, who I always use as like, well, right? Who was here? Yeah, lots of cool people, uh, and um, and and so it's. 
I, I sort of, yeah, it is, a, suburbia I think is a strange phenomenon, which has lots of positives about it and lots of kind of, it should be about like community and people having a nice garden, but often it's about snobbery and people being like, what, why are you doing that? Why, why, mm. why are you different? Why are you this? Um, and that's, you know, that's sometimes a little trying. Yeah, and I think it's um, often coming up against such a strong sense of what the world is and is not, and yes. what it feels like if you're not doing it right, how yeah. how intense that kind of pushback is in like a small C conservative way. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, that was certainly my experience when I was a kid and when I was a teenager as well, that I guess the people I was surrounded by, often not intentionally, but had kind of grown up in an environment which was very like, sort of, people knew who they were, knew what they were. Whereas I came along with this posh voice, which for no reason, really, because my parents don't have posh voices. And I just had it as this like curse, but also blessing. Um, and, <laughs> um, and, so, and so kind of immediately found myself as an outsider and at odds with them. And people sort of found that like really affronting. And I suppose, you know, everybody tries to make their, the world around them a safe place that everybody's trying to just sort of make the world like manageable and bearable. And I suppose if somebody comes along and is like, I'm totally different and I can do whatever I like. They're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and that's not the rules I got. Yeah. You're not playing by the rules. Well, we can just do what we want all the time. No. And I feel like that's quite a British thing too sometimes to be like, listen, I've not done that. How dare you? We're not supposed to be having fun here. If I'd have known we could have been having fun, I would have done things differently. We'd, I think we'd all like to be having fun, Josie. Do you know what I mean? Well, Thomas, Thomas got to go to work, I'm afraid. Um, but, um, the, uh, but yeah, it's sort of, I don't know, the idea of being happy. And I get it. I suppose if you have had a life where you felt like you can't skip freely through the fields, then, um, which isn't a reference to Theresa May, um, but it's, <laughs> where you can't just skip freely through life, um, that, that I suppose you would be a bit resentful of somebody coming along and, I mean, and just being different, I suppose, and just being a bit eccentric. And, and also, like, even just being a bit happy sometimes is quite an affront to a lot of people. <laughs> and people are like, well, well, I, I think I'd like to be happy, but, uh, well, uh, I mean, I've had a very difficult time. I've been uh, queuing up in Tesco. And so you think, you can't be happy in a queue in Tesco if you like. I know, I'm simplifying and I don't mean to be... Um... But it is, it's an odd, it's, it's a trait now which I, I think has become really amplified, which is that to express happiness can lead to immediate, you know, kind of condemnation and derision. Like whenever it gets to, to days that are celebrations, for instance, and people tweet about, oh, today's great because it's this day, then people go, you do know that on this day also a lot of people died. And you go, oh, I, I just wanted to say I'm having, you do know that a lot of people literally can't afford cake. And you're showing a picture of yourself with birthday cake. And you go, I really am not doing this. To, this is not me trying to rub, rub your nose in it and say, do you know why I put this picture of me enjoying some cake? Because I know how many people haven't got cake. And, and, it's, and it becomes that, so you find yourself, and I understand it, but it, it, I suppose this time last year, it was the garden thing in which people, anyone with whatever size of garden they had, felt that they had to very quickly say, and I do understand that not everyone has a garden. And that's a kind of odd thing, I think, because I think it is good to be aware that not everyone is as fortunate as yourself. Sure. But we don't sure. necessarily need to constantly say, uh, well, it, it means that you go, oh, thank heavens, any joy can now be burdened with a terrible guilt instead. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's it, isn't it? I think, um, and, and also being being content, being, I suppose, yeah, being being happy is sometimes perceived as something, somehow like you're, you're, taking away the happiness supply as though like, you know, you're using up the happy, but actually 
I don't, I don't know. I'm sounding, I think I am probably sounding very obnoxious and like, well, I'm happy. Why can't everybody be happy? <laughs> but, I sound uh, like an asshole. But I don't no, think I, you do. I, don't, I think it's about, I, I do think there's a problem, which is we're very competitive when it comes to pain. So there are people, if someone says, do you know what, I've not had a good week. The first thought is, do you know what? I reckon I'll be able to trump that because my week has been <laughs> pretty terrible. Whereas if you say, do you know what, I had such a lovely week. I think people are less like going, hang on a minute. I reckon I've had a lovelier week. I, I think there is a strange yeah, English, yeah, yeah. and it's not shared by everyone, but I think there is that, that constant empathy, which means which can be a negative thing of going, oh, God, but that person's maybe experiencing that, and that person's maybe, I better just keep quiet. I, I better not share anything yeah. else. <laughs> I, I suppose that's, and I guess it's those sort of complexities that come to bear in, like, suburbia, because yeah. I think they are a... a they're a hinterland I think between the uh, the sort of metropolitan area of living which always seems quite glamorous and quite exciting and then the sort of the, the kind of rustic kind of relaxed experience of the countryside of course these are not these are not totally true but like these kind of middle places where all all of life actually exists mm-hmm. in these hinterlands as in as in everything I think you know we all sort of exist in the middle somewhere and um and and so I kind of I do have a respect for it and a love of it and um and often those kind of like petty anxieties or petty um, neuroses are, um, I always find quite amusing as well as, as well as sometimes quite, um, as, as well as, as, as sort of quite trying. Well, I think now I'm a bit older as well. I find it, 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 it a bit easier. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, how does it feel to sort of shift in attitude to come back as a different person? Well, not really come back, but to sort of reassess as a different person. Well, I think writing the book really taught me about kind of, I learned a lot from putting things down on the page and particularly as a teenager going to the school I went to, which was again, a middle sort of comprehensive school and had lots of great positives about it. And I met wonderful people. I had some wonderful teachers, but at the same time, um, there were times when I felt very insecure and very anxious as a, as a young person and totally as an outsider and thought no one understands me. Um, And I, I sort of put, I, I sort of was able to process it a bit better by putting it down on the page, like things I did, like I was really keen to write down sort of experiences which didn't really make sense at the time. Like, for example, I was, I, I felt like I was kind of bullied for being an outsider. And rather than kind of trying to blend in, I sort of found myself doing ever more eccentric things. Like at one point I did a, a an Alan Bennett monologue, which had been performed by Julie Walters um, as part of a school cabaret. Which... Yes, this is a dream. <laughs> this would have been so the coolest stupid. thing I'd ever seen as a child. I'd have been like, yes. It wasn't though, it wasn't at all. And everybody was like, why are you doing that? I don't understand. Why do you want to do this? You don't seem to be. And also there was no like means to go, like I want to do this performance of a Julie Walters monologue. Can somebody help me? I don't know how to, it felt like I was too embarrassed to ask like, how would yeah. she dress or how would she, where would I get clothes like that? Or how would it, how would it work with like, I did have hair at that point, but like how it work with like hair and makeup and stuff and how, I didn't have any clue yeah. about how to do that. So I just sort of, people like, what, you don't seem to be very prepared for this and seem to be sort of angry about it. And it only took like, so that like compounding this kind of stress of it. And you could have been doing a dance to in sync. And everyone would exactly, have been exactly. screaming. Mr. Mr. Lover Lover. And everybody <laughs> would have thought it was amazing. Um, and um, Or done like a clarinet piece. Um, but everybody would be like, we know what that is. But yeah. like, I was still doing this weird thing. And a lot of people were like, what? What's this? What? Why? <laughs> and then there was one teacher who was really brilliant. She was like, I think I can help. I've got a dress you could put on. I could and help me with the makeup and stuff. And that was huge to do during Section 28 as well, when that would not have been, you know, she potentially probably could have lost her job for that. I don't know. Wow. Um and um and and so 
you know, and just did it. But I wanted to put that in the book because it didn't make sense. And I think like my editor was like, yeah, but then after that, did you know who you were? And people left you alone because you've made that statement. And I was like, no, <laughs> just carried on as before. And she's like, oh, I think the reader might be dissatisfied with that. And I was like, but I don't care in a way. This I is life. Get, this is what life is, is that sometimes it doesn't make sense and it doesn't have like, like, um, conclusions that that are like tied up with a bow and and everything's resolved and I thought that's really important to represent that particularly if you're in any way an outsider I suppose I always talk about being from a queer perspective like if you're an outsider in that regard that you kind of but in any in any regard like it's not it's not always easy in films and television naturally kind of represent it as having like you know of mm. course you want to have a a, a conclusion to those stories but I sort of wanted to go sometimes it is a bit weird and you do odd things and I sort of you know and you see it I'm sure there were teenagers in my year who were struggling with lots of things and were doing and 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 it meant that they weren't cooperating in French or but it didn't you know it might have been something that was happening at home mm. or it might have been something that was happening in in their in, in any part of their life um but yet they would it meant that they would just like cause a fight at lunchtime or you, you know and I think that's the important thing that's often not shown is that human beings don't make sense and if they did we wouldn't have a job would we guys like were you starting to write things and then being like oh gosh this is completely... Now I know who I am. <laughs> no, no, but this has made me understand what that experience was about, for example. Um, actually, it was more that... Um, it was. It, I'd always known I wanted to write about these times and these stories and stuff, that I, things that I'd done. Um, and I think putting them down on the paper meant that they made more sense. I could actually mm -hmm. see the connections of like, oh, I really did fancy that boy, but I couldn't tell him, so I did that... You know, it was like, oh, now I understand why I was scared to go to that party because I was embarrassed that I would accidentally show him that I fancied him or that I'd be embarrassed that I was, I didn't want to connect with anybody because I was sort of so closeted and so hidden um, and, and sort of full of self-loathing. I was like, as soon as I, I was, you know, it made me realise like why I was so desperate to kind of like cling to things like etiquette and like formal table settings <laughs> because it was my way of going, this is why everything is in a place and the knives and forks go here. And um, that is a world where everything is ordered and therefore I'm safe. And I guess that's what it comes down to again, is that idea of feeling safe that everybody craves. How interesting that you kind of adopted a different form of like propriety. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? That you were like, no, I'm going to work out how the word works. And it's actually on a more elevated level than this and I shall do oh, it properly. You want to you give me rules? Oh, I'll find some rules. <laughs> I'll do rules. Yeah, I've got a like... fish knife, mate. <laughs> that was, I think, exactly. Things like that didn't make sense to me until I wrote them down. Yeah. Like basically, I was living in a in a in a world of kind of yeah, as you say, propriety. And I was like, well, if we're going to do this, then I'm not going to do it by halves. I'm going to be like actually a, a Victorian <laughs> lady. <laughs> and, um, like that's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna live by the rules. Don't so worry beautiful. About that. So rare. It's so weird. It's just so weird. And I I hated myself for this weirdness at the same time as sort of not being able to resist it. It mm. was sort of like a very again those kind of complexities of like that's what I think is it's. Sometimes I'm at odds with the world, particularly, you know, when we talk about social media and stuff. It's often the world of like, believe in yourself. You've got to love yourself. And it's like, you keep telling me this, but what are you actually talking about? <laughs> like, what does that, that doesn't mean anything. Like, okay, I, I love myself. Okay, happy. Okay, fine. Will you leave me alone now? <laughs> I've been caring for myself. I mean, look, I'm living my best life. Okay. <laughs> I guess this is my, this is the best I can do. Like, is this? Is this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I think that, um, that, you know, I, th I I guess it's about, about like life is complicated and I just mm. want us to embrace that and go, mm. it's okay. Cause I think actually when we fall short of like, I don't love myself as these billionaires tell me to do on Instagram. So I, I guess I'm a failure as well as being poor. 
Um, and so, so I just think, you know, like we should go like, actually life is very complicated and people are sometimes nice and sometimes horrible and people sometimes do this and sometimes do that. Sometimes you feel these things and sometimes you don't. You know, it's okay. But we, it, sort of, it feels like that evermore is kind of, I don't know, there isn't space for that, I suppose. And I like, I like quirky people. And I like people who, who fall through the, 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 the confines of normal life. Yeah. I was wondering whether you, because uh, from a few people's experience, including mine, there was a point where if you don't uh, fit in, you don't, as you said, there's not these fantastic Damascene twist moments where suddenly you go, do you know what? We saw you do that Judy Walters monologue and now we understand you. But to some extent, and I don't know if you had this experience, when you get, if you make it all the way to the end, in that final term, people, as, as if because they failed to break you, they go, you're all right. <laughs> and, it, and I don't know if you had because that was the experience that I remember that was oh. having gone through it all because you hadn't tried to refashion yourself. Eventually they go, well, yep, well done. Yeah. Oh. oh, OK. It almost it almost feels like in some ways now looking at it, this particular, it's almost an acceptance of their own failure in our failure to crush you. We now accept you because also you'll be gone in July. Bye-bye. <laughs> there was, Did you I feel mean, that? <laughs> more from, more from, as I went through school, I must say as well, people in my year became lots, much more kind of, um, much, yeah, exactly that, of that kind of like, oh, actually, he's all right. Actually, I quite, I, actually, he's all right. Actually, yeah. I like him. He's a bit eccentric, but I think that's pretty cool. You know, and that sort of thing. And actually, I found, to my annoyance, I kind of created this outsider perspective where I was like, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm my own person. And then suddenly they were like, Oh, good. We're really proud of you. And I was like, well, no, wait a minute. I can't hold identity on the fact that you don't like me. And now you like me. Oh, no, but this is something really interesting and must be interesting for you now because you are doing programmes that are totally mainstream and it's lovely and people love it. You, oh, like, it, And that must feel like something, like a sort of adjustment to be like, oh, okay, this also is mainstream. I, yeah, I mean, I guess so. And I guess like I've always, gra you know, gravitated towards those outsiders who've existed in entertainment. Um, and, and in, in, you know, and I think there's a really proud heritage of people like Larry Grayson mm. and, um, you know, Kenneth Williams and Frankie Howard and people like that who had existed as, as, as outsiders within the mainstream. But mm. at the same time, like I've been aware of like there's been times that, and thank you for saying that. That's very kind of you to say that. Um, but um as well, there's been times when people have not been like I did a, a friend of mine works for Sky Sports and invited me. He's a football reporter and asked me to go along to Soccer Saturday to a oh, game wow. with him and commentate. And I was like, that'd be fun. And I, in my mind, I'm like, who watches this? People watch it. People watch it. And um, and so I just was like, just mucking about basically whenever they came to us and that's what my friend mark was like it's great just do whatever you want it's funny and i was like i would let him speak as well but then i'm like oh jeff jeff in the studio who's lovely as well they were all so lovely and jeff, i was like jeff we had such a great goal he was running up and down i didn't think he'd get it in and then he did like not responding like obviously in a bit of a like silly way but like also like quite genuinely and then there was a goal scored and i jumped up and down and then, and then um, there were lots of lovely comments on social, lots of lovely comments on mm -hmm. social media, but people who aren't fans of mine and who really like, it turns out, by the way, it turns out like something like 7 million people watched that program. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> and, uh, or something great, like it was something like I was not ready for at all. And, um, and I'd just be like mucking around like, oh, Jeff, I'm a bit cold. A coat wouldn't go amiss. Ugh. People were like so angry that they're like, 
It's <laughs> a special time watching the football. I just want to watch the football, right? I don't want to see him jumping around. Oh, I'm, also... against... <laughs> I mean, uh... I'm desperate to see this now. I'll send, I'll send it to you. And a part of me is like, you know, I can't complain about that because it's basically like, I lay down on the railway track. I can't believe I got run over. Um, also, I'm like, you know, like the vitriol that someone's like, this was embarrassing. This was a so cringe. This was a shambles. Um, and um, and I was like, well, I was just having a bit of fun. And just and I sort of am proud of the fact that I was like, you know what? You don't, just because you're not one of the like stereotypical blokes celebrating at a football game, you're still allowed to enjoy it. Like there's mm -hmm. not, you don't have to codify this behavior. Like it's well, not... I'm also one for saying that something like that will connect with people, you know, something that is unusual in that regard, but that is itself, it will connect with people. And there'll be somebody who was like, I was watching soccer Saturday. And for the first time I was like, yeah, like this is what I want. This is what it should be, you know? And like, that to and me I, is very exciting. I, well, that was nice. That was the best bit and it totally, you know, outweighed all the, the horrible angry people but it did sort of like yeah the people who were up like were like oh finally i enjoyed watching soccer saturday with my partner or oh yeah nobody have to have soccer saturday on and oh it, it like actually it was somebody i wanted to watch which is very flattering to me i'm sure they were just being nice but the um but you know the sort of like you know i think there are people who have to have it on in their dynamic yeah. that's part of their saturday routine and they're just like oh here we go you were and revenge like, for them i was revenge finally i got the revenge because as well, like, I, I don't, because I don't watch the programme and I don't know, but like there's been, there were some like ex-footballers who used to be the pundits there and I think they've now left. And so people are like, well, this programme's really gone down since blah, blah, left, blah, blah. And now they got, so in their mind, they've like computed it that like the, the, the programme had like got rid of these experts. Just for you. Decided just, yeah, just so I could be there and talk a load of shit. And that you'd like, fired them personally. Gone in there. Listen, right? I'll tell you how this is going to run. Sure, I don't know anything about The gay mafia now control football <laughs> yeah, commentating. Yeah, yeah. We knew that would happen. This is how we yeah. run things now, okay? okay. Would, it be, so would, it, <laughs> would, would it, it be so bad? Would it be so bad? bad? <laughs> it, might, it might be quite bad. But yeah, nothing would get done. If I was in, in control, didn't know anything. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's nice. You know, I think querying querying space or querying space. I think mm -hmm. some people call it. I don't know. I, I it's. I would like to make out that it was some sort of like very high art <laughs> concept. That I was. That's why I was doing it. Really, it was my friend Mark said, "Do you want to come down and do this?" And I went, "Yeah." <laughs> that was it. What's this? Your little your little show. No, I, I disagree. Him. I think. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> One of the great moments of Dadaism, probably one of the greatest Dadaist <laughs> movements that we've seen since the 1920s in Berlin. So uh, that's that's the way. I, that's weird. That just reminded me that I had a dream a couple of nights ago where Kevin Keegan was talking about perms. There we are. Well, he would know. You know when you just suddenly go, I've had a... <laughs> also, yeah, and, and, and I said to him, he said, he was going, there's not enough perms anymore, are there? And I went, you would say that, wouldn't you? Why did I dream about Kevin Keegan? Also... Sport is making... Maybe it was some kind of precursor to this rare conversation about football that we're now having <laughs> but again you're approaching it not from a football angle but from a perm angle but the idea that you'd meet Kevin yeah, Keegan very much about the perms there, there was nothing nothing I met Kevin Keegan oh did you ask him about his football career <laughs> no no I had some other things on my mind some other stuff it was, it was all grooming tips just grooming tips <laughs> yeah I, I wanted to, because you mentioned Kenneth Williams and, and Frank Howard and Larry Grayson, and, and I wondered how much you do think about, because you know, Kenneth Williams in particular is someone that I remain obsessed by, as many people are, and just such a fascinating story. But 
what I find interesting is that how different their story is. Well, that yeah. at their point of doing comedy, and obviously Kenneth Williams is an actor, but but if we, which is a lot of their public expression, a lot of what they did on stage is at the same time, strangely enough, hiding a secret that at the same time almost appears to be overt. And that seems to be such a huge difference. Then when I think about, I mean, one of the first gigs I ever saw live was when I was 16 and I saw Julian Clary when he was Joan Collins fan club. And as opposed to what Frankie Howard, here was a guy in in rubber shorts with a rubber vest (laughs) with the kind of highlights and all of these things. And a look, I'm sure that now, especially the hair in particular, he wouldn't be keen on the highlights and extensions. But... That change seems to mean that what you represent to so many people, you know, because you saw something in them that was very obviously very important as well, saying this this is an expression of something that is, is in you. Whereas now, do you think sometimes, how much do you think about that as, as being on stage and on television, thinking about the people, the young people who are looking and going, oh, Tom, here's Tom, and Tom is oh. something that I've not yet spoken out aloud. I think I probably put put them off, unfortunately. I <laughs> know, <laughs> 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 oh, oh, I'll stay in the closet a bit longer. I think. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's very generous to even suggest they they would. I mean, um, the uh, well, I guess I always I always felt as a young person like um, like I like I yeah like I I couldn't connect with the world around me in lots of ways in some ways I could but in lots of ways I didn't connect with the world and um so anybody who sort of showed that it was okay to be yeah I suppose to be different and to also I think the thing about a lot of those those guys particularly Kenneth Williams perhaps is that he wasn't afraid to represent the um the sort of sadness he had inside and the sort of and 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 depression and 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 but just sort of an, a, a human sadness and, and a loneliness and a sort of and an, and an anger at the world at times and an anger at himself and whether that was a, a manifestation of, of, of I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm not a psychotherapist, so it wouldn't be right for me to say it. But um, but I think just sort of being able to go uh, to, to to show the kind of longing in human beings, I found hugely part of the the thing I enjoyed. And that's strange to say as a child or as a teenager, but I did really connect with the sadness. Um, and I don't know if it's sort of a maudlin maudlin gay thing, um, but um, or just or, smart little boys. Like that Smart. SNL sketch for uh, Wells for sensitive boys. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. That, I mean, I wanted to wear a suit from the age of about six, and oh. so I did always feel like this kind of. I don't know. I, I suppose I felt like a much more grown up being. I don't know if that's mm. because, as a queer young person, you kind of you have to grow up quite quickly because suddenly you're you've got you, you're aware of something that's making you different and doesn't seem to be acceptable. Or that was in that was you know at the time I was growing up. Well, I was going to talk because you mentioned Section 28 earlier and especially recently talking with friends, I think it's generational that people are suddenly becoming aware of the damage that that caused and of how much it did affect our generation, even when our generation was notionally in a completely different place to previous generations. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, it's, I think it just creates, I mean, my experience was it created a, an absence, a void of any mm. positive enforcement. And I think in that void, do you fill in the gaps yourself? So because I wasn't hearing anybody go, it's great to be gay, or it's okay to be gay even, or, um, or there are gay people. here's what being gay is, or yeah, being gay exactly. is. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and as well, and I think what's really, it's, it seems so obvious to say, but like without the internet, so you couldn't like 
secret mm. yourself away and look things up or learn about things. So you just didn't know anything. Um, and so you just, and you couldn't talk to anybody. I, I felt I couldn't talk to anybody because I was so hate, hateful of myself. And so, you know, that's a very sort of dangerous thing, I think, for anybody to feel like that. And I think as well, because like I was bullied for being gay, but also not allowed to be gay. Um, that kind of that the worst of all possible worlds. The worst of all possible worlds. And because you're not represented, you don't you sort of feel like and there's no positive reinforcement, you feel like that human need to connect and to to you know have affection for other for, for people is 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 contorted and, and I think that makes that sends a message that you're not a human being. And I I, I know that sounds dramatic, mm-hmm. but you feel like you're not you're not allowed to be alive. That's what I, I found. That that's manifested as. Uh, that's what that manifests as. Maybe, maybe that's maybe I'm being dramatic about it. I do have a propensity. Well, for that. no, but- I don't think it's dramatic to share an ex- an experience and a feeling you had in the slightest. And I don't think it's dramatic in terms of what it did to people. I really don't. I think you know, completely disconnecting people from what is actually an essential part of human history and and always a normal part of human history and pretending that you know so that people feel so isolated and unable to sort of connect and root themselves i think it's fucking brutal it well yeah it did feel like that i think and um you you know at at the same time there were you know really amazing role models and people Mm. doing the best and i had teachers who kind of did stand up and go, um, I'm not allowed to tell you, I'm, there's Section 28 exists, which means, and I've never heard of it, obviously, because that's the other thing, you didn't know that Section 28 existed. Well, it's not like when you're 10, they're like, by the way, these are the laws of the country and this is what's going <laughs> yeah. on. And, you know, and like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is how it used to be, but it's changed. So that's another thing is like the distinct lack of kind of any sort of contemporary political education, except for like 10 minutes of PSHE that you may or may not have got. Yeah, yeah, or like might yeah might not be compulsory, and if you want to learn to smoke in that time, that's also. <laughs> or if like me, you know that you can dos off because no one's doing a register till nine thirty a.m. You're never going to go in. You're never going to go in. Yeah, Jesse, yeah, remember that. Um, yeah, just sort of yeah, it is really weird, isn't it, to not you know, engage in those sorts of things. But Well, it's sort of, I suppose this is analogous in some, to some extent. I did history A-level, I loved it. One of the courses was the history of popular protest in the United Kingdom. Oh, wow. And we got to 1979 and they went, yeah, we're not going to do any of this. <laughs> We've run out of time, I'm afraid, but. <laughs> so, so I guess everything's fine and it always has been, bye. <laughs> Such a long history of it. It's so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And you sort of assume that like, there's been no, there's been no protest. But again, this is for me something to do with Kent, like in particular where I felt, I felt that there was no sense of any kind of living history. There was no sense of any kind of connection to any sort of a past that might involve kind of anything other than, so, you know, we we had David Bowie and Susie Sue and that was about it. We didn't have like uh, uh, anything akin to, oh, this was the historic industry. This was the historic, this, that, the other. And I remember being really stunned when I found a podcast called the West Kent Radical History Podcast that had all these men talking about how Tunbridge Wells was an epicenter for radical publishing and thought in like 19, uh, uh, sorry, 1876. And I was like, Tunbridge? else so wow. yeah sorry that's they've somewhat got, of a tangent but they've got a they've got a lovely kitchen shop exactly so, so you know they what, got what they wanted was yeah. all worth it they, exactly um, they won that fight they won the fight so then they could then they took their feet up the gas they could disband yeah, yeah. they just were like mm, pantiles um <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> glad so glad so glad we did that let's pop down to hoopers um, <laughs> um the <laughs> well, I love 
love is I, I like that you really swung that around into a real celebration of Tunbridge Wells and, and it deserves uh, it, you know? It's you know what it's not about well, my brother has recently moved there. Um yeah, Jesse, yeah, but you know, he lives very modestly. I, I don't think he'd mind me saying. He's not this isn't a this isn't a bracket. I think but I think Tunbridge Wells is changing and I'm not working for them and I don't I don't have any investment. <laughs> but you could be open to offers if they but were I'm, to if they look, were looking for a face. Ambassador I'm, of the Pantiles. His Excellency, the Ambassador <laughs> of the Pantiles. Um, <laughs> Hello, sorry to disturb the conversation. Just to say, you are listening to the abridged version of Josie and Robin's book shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version, then you can support us via Patreon and get all of the other bits of tittle-tattle that dropped out of our mouth. But I just quickly want to mention, but because before we start recording this, I, I did mention that, that I think it's, it you have really managed to capture the uh, uh, a, a voice that is, which I think is quite hard, which is to get the voice that people like listen to and actually place it on a printed page is very very hard oh, to get it right, and it is very funny. And then when you do, there are certain things. I mean, I love the fact that you know what we didn't mention about your Alan Bennett monologue was originally you did it because you thought it was a monologue written by Elton John, um, <laughs> yes, due to confusion of who was on the cover of the book. But I just wanted to that bit where talking about your personality and having this, which is you know you start by talking about being four years old and deliberately getting lost in a supermarket because then you know someone would have to say your name. I mean, now in terms of showbiz. <laughs> Starting in showbiz, how do I make sure that Tom Allen is the name that everyone hears? I'll get lost in the frozen pea section. Is a pretty, you know, advanced take on, you know, kind of Andy Warhol's nature of fame. I mean, yeah, it wasn't 15 minutes, but um, I think and the things my, my parents never worried because they were like, where's he gone? Oh, I know where. And then bing bong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's with the parents of Thomas Allen. Please come to the uh, information desk. And we have your son here. And it was sort of more, I guess it was a more relaxed time as well. When, you know, you just wandered around as a child. <laughs> and um, and I, I've always had a, a great fondness for um, people of my mum's age, I would say, uh, and, want, and wanting to be friends with them. So the, the women who worked in the... The information desk at Waitrose, or wherever, this before Waitrose became part of the John Lewis partnership, I hasten to add. Um, it's just a normal supermarket then. Um, or wherever we were, I wanted to make them my friends. So um, off I would go and have a lovely chat with them, and they would be kind of, I think, delighted, but maybe slightly annoyed. But um, so you yeah. were kind of a born host. I was, yeah, basically. <laughs> I was const- constantly hosting everything. How's it going, Vera? Yes, love to love to hear you chat about the knitting. <laughs> I mean, Vera, what's going on? Have there been a lot of returns on those uh, recalled beans, uh, or not? Yeah, things like that. Things like that. But see, I love things like that. I, I remember having a certain moment of proudness, where uh, or pride is another way of saying it, um, where um, I was rung up by a friend of mine. She said, "I just bumped into your son in the supermarket when he was about three years uh. old." And he just wandered up to her and went, hi, Jane. Oh, yeah, Dad's up at Edinburgh at the moment. He's doing the festival. And and she said he always just chats. And I think there's something really mm. charming mm. about and, and what you express as well in that book, which is, and I think it also comes, and it must say something about your parents as well, which is so many people bring up their children where the child is spoken to as a child. Mm. There is this, there is no, you know, that bit that when, when I watch 
parents or, or friends or whatever talking to someone just saying how are you and what is going on in your world and it's not you must love playing choo 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 <laughs> all of that it's so beautiful to see it because it brings out like everything like every level of humanity if you talk to human beings as human beings with genuine interest it brings out so many interesting things in them and i just wondered how much you feel that your parents approach to you you know how much that that influenced the way you were um well i would i mean I think, like my parents, particularly my mum's side, are naturally quite chatty, very chatty, um, and my uh, yeah, my grandmother very chatty, um, and my dad's side sort of uh, no would be more would be more sort of adult and would be more yeah would be would talk would talk to me like an adult and I think yeah I was always in, I was always encouraged to talk with adults and I always found that a more comfortable space to be in rather than, I wasn't interested in hanging out with with children my age because I always found them so tedious and un- uninformed <laughs> <laughs> so I was and I think driven by praise that I wanted people to go mm. what, a, what a nicely behaved young man what a very what a what a lovely boy you've got there Irene and Paul um what a lovely so I think you know my mum was like oh yeah I mean <laughs> she said oh, don't talk like that anyway she does but like, oh, <laughs> you know, oh, we don't know where we got him from. Oh, I don't know where we got him from. Talking like that, I know, I know. So I think there must be something in the gas and air, and all of that sort of thing. And I think, you know, there's a sort of suburban. Again, it comes down to suburbia of like always put on your best front and always kind of impress people, get people talking so they go like, oh yeah. But at the same time, like you don't you don't want to show off too much because then people are like, oh, they really wreck themselves, don't they? Oh, full of their bleeding self. <laughs> it's always a fine line to to call, but. Um, your mum, I think, liked me to be kind of chatty with people and liked me to sort of put on a bit of a show. So I think that's part of it. But um, but I, yeah, I think I think as well. Yeah, I mean, they're not like mum and dad. Well, yeah, they, they, they. I don't suppose it was deliberate. I feel. I feel like they weren't going like we're going to talk to him like this, and that's going to mean. I think it was a sort of a, a sort of organic thing. Yeah. I, let me quickly ask you about books. Um, so the two questions I want to ask is one: when you were writing the book, were there any other kind of biographies, autobiographies, memoirs that you had read that you thought, gosh, this is something that I really want to emulate or have really loved. And the other one, more broad, is what are you reading at the moment that you really love? What kinds of things do you love? So two questions, please. Um, who was that? Well, emulating, who was I trying to... Um, I really, I like those sort of moments where you just sort of, in a book, in a particular biography, where you just feel like you just happen upon a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, oh, I always really enjoyed, the, I got a book of Alistair Cook's Letters from America, which I always enjoyed as a sort of taking people on a journey to another world. I mean, it wasn't really another world, was it? But um, I think particularly at that middle of the 20th century when that was a very popular Radio 4 programme, mm-hmm. you know, that idea of just an insight into lives and 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 the sort of the lives around the side of the main experience, I thought were always very interesting. And, and then I've always loved Alan Bennett. I had a brilliant English teacher called Miss Abbott. Um, and uh, she was in. She'd done an. She'd studied Talking Heads actually for her, um, for her degree. And and so she, in the sixth form, I then got back into Alan Bennett after my brief foray into the world of Judy Walters, um, and um, and suddenly learned to embrace it and realised that actually the thing that Alan Bennett does so brilliantly is 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 make the ordinary seem fantastical and make mm-hmm. it and realise and you know, those little conversations and those little incidental moments, he celebrated in a way that I'd never seen before. Because up to that point, 
you, you know, you, you sort of study books and about rich people in like the Regency period, who mm. I'm sure have some interesting things to say, but you know, it's quite nice when you suddenly see like, oh, I didn't know we were actually talking about this. I didn't know we could talk about the trip to the supermarket or the, you know, he, he talks about his parents a lot and and their sort of their realness and their naturalness and, and stuff like that. And I think that that was that's really the biggest influence on on me, um, if I if I may say. I think I, I like biographies, but I I also wasn't I didn't want it to seem too. I, aggrandizing of course it is naturally aggrandizing because I've decided to write a book about myself but you know but um but I, I wanted to try and like I say show that nothing is conclusive and, that, and it wasn't you know like some books you read them they go particularly sports people love to be like and then I met this person and this person said to me that and that person said to me, like, <laughs> all right we get it you met Sean Connery but um but uh yeah and I, I think as a kid I read um David Niven's Moons of Balloon um and that was very, that's kind of the, that's the epitome of like a great biography, but very like showbiz anecdotes. But, you know, I love that too. But, um, but yeah, so. Roger Moore's a very entertaining for that. Oh. And he was, of course, friends with Dave Newman. That they are just packed with it. And he, he delivers the anecdotes so beautifully. Yeah. Uh, and and his his book actually about which was recently reprinted about I'm, I'm not a James Bond fan at all but his his book about the making of Live and Let Die again oh. because he is constantly self-effacing and oh. constantly reminding you of the absurdity of the whole thing I mean at one point yeah. he talks about doing a speedboat chase where he shits himself you know and it's <laughs> really? kind of, it's not As I would imagine would. when people were reading it they were going to go oh and then it's going to be about him lifting some things down his sex with some girls and then I had to change my own <laughs> oh, oh, this is not what I thought at all that's what you want though isn't it just to mm. feel like you know just like oh that's fine we all do things like that um, and um, that's okay you know there's so few times in life when people go like oh because you know I think social media has created this which has always been there this world of like I'm perfect everything I do is so considered and mm. immaculate and my life is incredible and yeah I really thought about what I was going to do and I said oh, and I achieved it and aren't I great um whereas actually I think most people are like oh god where am I today <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to make an uh, infographic that's like, and then swipe, I shat myself. <laughs> <laughs> I shit myself again. <laughs> Had a great day at Thought Park, but I have to say the ride was somewhat more petrifying than I imagined. Fortunately, they just opened a new knicker box. Oh, thank heavens for knicker <laughs> box. Actually, it's run down the legs. I've got a sock shop as well. Get a new sweater while you're there. Yeah. <laughs> it's very heartening, actually. Actually, Graham Norton in his biography has a story about how he shits himself. I feel like I really missed out on that. What an idiot. Yeah. I, didn't, I don't have any shit myself Listen, stories. You need some space for the second volume of memoirs. Do you know what I mean? You, you need somewhere to go. I need to have something to go to, yeah. Actually, Julian Clary does as well. He has one where, when he was shaking hands with the Queen at the Royal Variety, he thought that he was letting out a small fart. And I remember, for some reason, I heard this story while I was... I, I was watching him tell this story on Australian Breakfast TV, where clearly he had forgotten that though it was night time where he was in the UK... And it was one that, you know, with those... I'm so sorry about that, everyone. Uh, obviously, uh, Jimmy, really, they're forgetting they're really that. that. Oh, wow. <laughs> also, I would suspect the Queen. I'd be like, the Queen has some sort of power where she can that choose. You? Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 but she can choose to make you do that. 
Oh, that would be it. That's her superpower. She has yeah. no. She has access to you know her own versions of M and Q or whatever. Oh, you're right. On Her Majesty's Secret Service is actually about making people shit themselves. <laughs> that was the Roger Moore. Well, I suppose curtsying in some ways the movement of the curtsy. Oh yes, it's going to get them. Is is a get the bows moving? Oh, the bounce whole really thing like was about putting people in place. The bow and the curtsy is both to propel. Make people oh, feel dear. worse about themselves. How clever. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell me a bit about books that you love tell me a bit about say, what you're enjoying Staris as well. I've suddenly realized oh, of, oh of course yeah of course All these influences that I casually forget but um yeah the way that he kind of uh oh yeah and then I like Tina Fey as well I really liked her autobiography and mm. I forget how many I've read actually god I'm good well, also, also you know it's it's a broad question but it doesn't really it, it's just things you've enjoyed really it's not you know um, but things I love to read. I've really got into um, Henry Mantel's series of books. I really find those very interesting. Um, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies and those stories about um, uh, Thomas Cromwell and learning about the Tudor era, which I never knew anything about, really. I thought it was so interesting. because Again, because she writes about them in so much detail, but she's not talking about... You, you don't really meet King Henry. So you don't meet any of the... You don't meet... You do meet them, but you see them briefly, but it's always through the eyes of this guy who mm. is remembered in history but sort of isn't as he's sort of in one sense Henry VIII's henchman but the other sense he's this working class kid done good and found himself sort of worked his way to the top of the tree um but is in this impossible situation all the time and it's sort of you, I don't know I just thought it was so fascinating to learn about how you know and how, how horrific it was like horrific that era what and how horrific Henry VIII was as lord of this like hilarious like monarch like this horrendous like murderer basically it's like um, tony soprano or something it's like yes yeah people that are that powful is, like, is you know all right but also all right. for historical novels i tend to think it's so wonderful to feel like you're in that era and when people yeah. can do it well it teaches so much without teaching exactly how i felt and i think she is such an interesting person, Hilary Mantel, and she says about reading as well, about how like books aren't designed to be read in the way that they're studied at school. And I thought that was, I thought that was mm. so interesting because I think, I mean, probably someone listening to this would like, she didn't say that, but that's what I got. I think it was her. Um, <laughs> said like, you know, like no author writes a book going like, well, I can't wait for year nine to look at the illustration <laughs> in that paragraph. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, God, I wish I, people did. It would make it so I much mean, easier I wrote in my year book nine. That, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of treats for year nine. That's, yeah, we're going to talk about symbolism. And, uh, uh, um, so I really enjoyed that, but I've got the newest one. I can't remember what it's called, but I keep, it's quite big and I keep meaning mm. to read it. Because once I get the big books and they're really difficult to get into, once you get into them, it all, it all makes mm. sense. It doesn't help that everybody's got the same name and everybody's got like three names and they're all the same in those books. But, but that's just like Russian books, isn't it? Where you're like, why is this person called this and that and this yeah. version of that? It's really, yeah, it's really complicated, yeah, all that sort of thing. I th yeah, but um, once you get beyond it, I just ignored all the things I couldn't understand and then suddenly it made sense. I mean, that's a good rule for life. That's how I'm reading Dust Capital, I'll tell you that for free. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I'll pick it up. But then he wrote that, didn't he write that just like endlessly, just like some of it's good, some of it's bad, just sort of writing away in the British Library. Well, also you think about him, like in his life, he didn't really... He was just off doing his stuff. He didn't really have kind of any connection. He, like he was sort of discovered after he died, m most mostly, you know, like. I, right. 
he, he wasn't like somebody who was working with editors and being getting loads of feedback <laughs> and stuff. He was just like, well, better write this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this I dream I want to create. And, uh, you know, I've got this gotta get it ambition. Done. I've got to just live my best life. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that must be interesting to I, yeah, I, what else? No, I, I hate it, honestly. Oh, dear. Yeah. No, not it's at all. very long. That's all I know. It's like volumes of it. It's like, it goes on and on. I just feel like I want to be like, look, I'm a comrade. Just whatever. Just whatever. <laughs> Fine. I'll sign. But the, loads of books of philosophy and stuff, you don't need to read them because someone mm. else has, and they've written a short book or a chapter about them. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think with a lot, of, a lot of big academic books that you think, I must read this, actually, the cartoon version has done it all for you. I'm very I, lazy like yeah. that. And and I often think that the the, the philosopher or whoever it might be, they've had to work it all out by writing it. Yeah. Someone else can go. Well, I think this is what, what they meant. Brilliant. What you want, Robin? Pages. What you want to read is um, Sophie's World. Did you read that? Oh, yes. Oh, I thought I was the bee's <laughs> knees when um, Dennis next door lent it to me. Me too. Teenager. He lent it when to you as teenager. well. <laughs> oh my God, Josie. When I was suddenly like, like throwing in like Hobbes <laughs> and um, Descartes. Oh my and I just God. thought what I was a terrible prick I must have been. No, I was exactly the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> I, I want to say thank you so much for doing this. It's such a joy and oh. it's such a thrill. And I like can't wait for people to read your book and oh, well. have fun. And yeah. I, I'm very grateful. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm sorry oh, I was late finding, finding the internet. And um, also, I'm sorry if it's been, I hope it's been all right <laughs> so far. You haven't said it's been a problem with the sound. I, I like that when we were talking before about that kind of that Englishness and and the, and the general not not being one has to be careful about saying you're happy because it might mean someone feels even sadder, and I noticed that with you that you quite often like if you say something you know compliments are which of course is how we we've all been brought up it, a, a compliment to you for your work is is a kind of oh, yes well I I don't know maybe someone will and, and it's it's interesting watching that. Well, I, I do secretly love it, don't worry. Um, but, but it's oh, no, I could see that as well. That was what was nice. You were both um, self, but self-effacing, but at the same time, there was a glow that there was no but, way of hiding. Listen, are not we just embodiments of 55-year-old women working in Waitrose circa 1997? Are not Robin uh, and the, I? I? My very own um, checkout supervisors. <laughs> Um, to hang out with before on the tannoy and summon my mum to come and collect me. And we have to go but and do you know what's so funny? It's such a, like, I really, really identify with that. The idea that somehow that made you, like, famous or special to hear that over the tannoy. Absolutely disgusting behaviour, isn't it? But yeah, the tannoy, like, here my, look, I'm lost here, but I'm also found. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What a treat. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's such a joy to, to catch up with both of you. So thank you for your kind words. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Back next week with another new episode. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support the podcast. If you don't already, you can also go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review five stars. That helps us out as well. Check out everything else going on at cosmicshambles.com. Follow us on Twitter at Cosmic Shambles. Uh, at Cosmic Shambles Network on Instagram as well. Have a great week, stay safe, and we will see you next Thursday. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.